Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. Good morning. Great to have you. And um, yeah, we are missing Pastor Brad and his team. Um, I said at the first service, you know, uh, one of the uh, things I experienced from my Christian life is the the sometimes you know you can gather on a Sunday morning with people and you get so far in relationships, and then you can meet with them in life group and you get so far in relationships. But it seems, in my experience, it's when you work with a team um, that that experience of of brotherhood and sisterhood, of brothers in arms, goes up a next level. And um, my experience. Is, is that one of the things we're, we're training our, our life group leaders and life groups to do is to consider spending a portion of every time they meet to talk about people outside of their group who don't know Jesus and to talk about what they could do as a team of people to reach out to those people. It could be a friend that you know, it could be a group that you know or a situation where you know where you could operate as a team. And there's something special about planning and praying and and doing stuff together that you don't get by just meeting and praying and discussing the Bible and sharing about your life. There's that extra dimension. that Even when we do working bees at church, people talk to me about uh, how good the working bee was. And you go, what's good about cleaning windows? And they go, they don't mention what they did. They mention who they spoke to. They mention about working with somebody and the value and the power of that. And I, I just got to say to you, I think the church is missing so, so much when we, all we do is meet. I think we've got to meet and we've got to pray and we've got to share our lives. We've got to read the word together and we've got to use the gifts we've got. But then we've got to go, what can we do together that would extend the kingdom of God, but also build our relationships beyond what they are? So I look at the Alpha team and all the feedback I'm getting from them is they're loving doing Alpha. They love the fact that they pray, that they're prepared, that they're doing this together. They pray together before Alpha and they're doing this as a team. Now, the highlight of their time will be every Tuesday night that they meet for Alpha. But this weekend, that teamwork is just going to go up another level. And you watch, those people will come back and there'll be people that weren't brothers and sisters in friendship that'll come back as brothers and sisters in arms. And they'll have developed a relationship. So here's my challenge, just a thought. If you're not connected like that, find a way to to get into a life group or do something with a group of people where you can go up that next level as you share Jesus with each other and with those outside the church. You'll you'll experience something very special. All right. Today, uh, we're doing uh, our next study in um, the the book of Joshua chapter 3, or the book of Joshua, and it's Joshua chapter 3. I'm wondering whether anybody can tell me what their takeaways were from the story of Rahab and the spies from Joshua chapter 2 from last week. Would anybody like to share anything? We've got Steve there with a microphone because welcome to the people on Zoom. It's great to have you and they would like to be able to hear anything that you, it was your takeaways from last week just so that we've got context for this week. We've got Daryl over here, Steve, right at the other end of the building. What, were your, what was your takeaway, Daryl? The uh, Israelites, they were a little bit scared of going over and taking the land in Jordan, but when they sent the spies there and spoke to Rahab, they found it was the opposite direction. They were actually more scared of the Israelites, and the Israelites were scared of them. Mm. 
So what's your takeaway from that? The devil's more worried about you. Stop being so worried about him. He's worried what God's going to do through you. Yes. This Rob. is probably something that I should have known, but I wasn't aware that Rahab was the forefront to Jesus. Yeah, that she was uh, in the Jesus's uh, lineage, in, in um, his what do you call it? Ancestry. Yes. Yeah, family tree. Rahab the prostitute married a guy uh, who had a son called Boaz, and Boaz married Ruth, who was a Moabite, and they're all in Jesus's family tree. It's amazing. I mean, for, for an, an, a people that actually prided themselves on not being involved with other nations, there's two that you wouldn't want to be involved with, straight up. Yeah, it's amazing. God, it, I think that actually speaks of God's heart for the nations. Yeah. It also tells me that God is, uh, is uh, a person who is neither male nor female, in his, he's not hasn't got a priority on men over females. He, he, women were involved in the gospel, uh, both in Jesus's time and even before that. The good news is not just Jesus; it's the good news is all the way through. Okay, who else? Alex. Um, that Rahab, who was also fearful of the Israelites, like everybody else, she did something with that fear. She turned it. She jumped ship. Yeah, That's she what she it. did. Yeah. And uh, uh, against everybody else. Yeah. Which uh, uh, means, uh, well, that's what we do too when we come out of the world. Yeah, yeah. We uh, jump ship. Yeah. That's very cool. That's good. Yeah. But the fear, she didn't stay in the fear and she didn't become what some people do is when they get fearful, what do you do? Cling. Cling. They sort of cling to others who are also fearful. Yes. But you can also, when you, when you face something you fear, what can you do? Two things usually, two Hate. responses. Hate. Fear or fight. Yeah. Fight, sorry, fight or flee. Fight or flee, yes. Fight or flight. <laughs> fight or flight. <laughs> oh, we're getting very complicated here. But the thing is, is that instead of going, recognizing that God has given the land and saying we surrender, they fight. But why do that if, God, if you already know that God has given them the land? Why would you fight? You just go, we know that you can do this and that you're going to take it. Why, why die? Let's just submit to the greater authority here. Uh, who else do we have here? IT. Thanks, Steve. Deborah. Of course. We'll take that. Deborah. Both. <laughs> Anyway, uh, from, from the point of view uh, of a view of that two spies that were sent out, it was new to me uh, uh, to say that these two spies, nothing much was said, but these two spies was brave and courageous to be sent out secretly, had to, having to go through the big gate that you talk about and then integrated, integrated by the guards there, mm. and they had to be bold and courageous to, to know that they may that may, may be the end of that their lives. The yeah. and, and they were so brave and things didn't go. It actually went sour probably and that's why they had to quickly escape, you know, and God did lead them to another uh, divine appointment with Rahab. Brainhead. That's how it started. So the message that I take back is we might be the two spies that are being sent out. Oh, we yes. need to be bold and courageous and be willing to speak. 
Yeah, Jesus in Luke 10 and Matthew 10 sends his disciples out by to go ahead of him, by two, to go ahead of him and to go into villages and to proclaim the good news, to heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. And he told them that, that when they went into a village, that some would receive them. And if they received them, that they were to actually stay with them and let them look after them. And then uh, they were to, if that person believed that they were to let their peace stay with them. Doesn't that sound like Rahab's story? All that happened. She received them, she hid them, she looked after them and she believed and the peace stayed with her. Her whole family was saved. How cool is that? That's so good. And yes, you are spies and yes, you are going sent in and Jesus actually says in Luke and Matthew, he, both, he, he tells them some people will receive you and some people will reject you. So uh, they took the chance. They went in there they could have been taken. They could have been killed for being spies, uh, committing espionage. And, um, but just as the disciples, Jesus said, I'm sending you as um, sheep amongst wolves. And some people will persecute you and you will be hauled before. Yeah, so it is scary. Who, who, who does get scared about people's reactions to what we have in our hearts? Who gets scared of being rejected or being harassed or being... You know? All right. Well, we're going to move in and we're going to read uh, chapter 3. And um, as you read this, I want you to think about this. There are images and ideas in this passage. Uh, the, the old is a foreshadow of the new. When you read the Bible, what you read in the Old Testament is getting you ready for the New Testament. So you will see pictures and ideas that flow all the way through. It's really amazing the way it is consistent that the stories you read, you see New Testament realities. You see Jesus' ideas and Jesus' teaching coming through these Old Testament stories. So as we read this, I'm wondering if you can keep in mind uh, what New Testament realities or what the New Testament realities are. There could be differences between the Old and the New. What are they? What words and ideas are you going to read that might go, I wonder what the New Testament thinks about that. All right, so let's read this. Early in the morning, Yeshua, Joshua, and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. And after three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before, but keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you. And this is my challenge to read all these names. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Parasites, <laughs> not the Parasites, the Purisites, Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites and the Jebusites. The Jebusites were in Jerusalem. 
Uh, See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Know then, choose 12 men. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its water flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carry the Ark's Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zaranath. Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabia, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed until the whole nation had completely completed the crossing on dry ground. Let's just pray. Lord, um, we, we want to ask that you would bring your your light and your truth and your revelation to us and your understanding. Lord, um, in the time that I have today, there is not enough time to unpack all the wonderful things that you have for us. But I pray, Lord, as we gather together around your word, that you would illuminate and bring revelation to our hearts. And Lord, that you would do something in our hearts this day with this word, that you would move our hearts, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, Do I have any feedback on any of the thoughts or ideas that you heard in that passage that you might think have a New Testament reality? Hmm. Alex? Yeah. 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 That's right. God exalted Jesus. That's great. That's good. Yes, Donna. His presence. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What was um, the pre- how did the presence how was it understood in that time? Ark of the Covenant. So the question uh, that's 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 a good. There's a question: Is there an Ark of the Covenant in the New Testament? We're going to come to that. Any any other ideas or things that you got out of that story that might have a reality in the New Testament? Let's have a look at this. And the old is a foreshadow of the new. In the old covenant, Yeshua, Joshua, and uh, ooh, thank you for fixing my slide, Caleb, between, between Acts. Um, Jesus is the name that we call uh, Joshua, um, but we know that Jesus is the one who saves. Uh, the priests and Levites were in the Old Testament appointed the Le- the Levi- from the tribe of Levi, there was Levites and there was priests. The, the priests were chosen out of Levites and they, the priests were descendants of Aaron. Uh, in the New Testament, we don't have priests. Guess what? I'm not. I am not like an Old 
Old Testament priest. I am a priest along with all of you. Who would have thought that you were all priests? Has anybody thought, I'm not a priest? Like, I don't wear a little white thing here on on my collar, and I don't have special garments. Uh, The Old Testament priests and Levites had special clothing. Uh, But Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, talking to Christians. So, there is only one priest right now, and he's a high priest. His name is Jesus. The book of Hebrews tells us that he has sacrificed, made one sacrifice, and that sacrifice was once and for all, and that was him. He gave his very life to be the sacrifice that saved us, and he was the only one high priest. So I don't stand between you and God. You actually have direct access, as the book of Hebrews says, to God. So there is no longer a priesthood. You are all priests. You have direct access to God. And here's what's really cool. You get to be ministers to people who don't know God. You get to introduce them to what God has done for you. Uh, Consecrate. In um, this story, they were told to consecrate. And in that story, um, in that time, to consecrate yourself was to to stay away from anything that would make you unclean. And you were to wash yourself, you were to wash your clothes, you were to wash yourself, you were to anoint your head, and you were to set yourself apart for what God was about to do. In the New Testament, um, Jesus sets you apart. Jesus consecrates you. Jesus makes you holy. Jesus makes you right with God. There is nothing that you can do to consecrate yourself. All you have to do is stay with Jesus. He makes you right. I love that. I love the fact that I can't make myself right with God and that Jesus can make me right with God. It's his work on the cross that makes me right with God. And my, I can set myself apart, though. I can say, uh, I think as the book of Timothy, Paul says that there are special um, bowls and uh, vessels. There are uh, things that are used for normal things, and there are special um, uh, bowls that you use for special things. And he talks about, you know what? Be like the special bowls. Be set apart for special times. Like, how many of you have a special dining set that's used for Christmas only? And then you've got your daily dining set. Well, God wants us to be, because he's made us holy, he wants us to go, listen, I want you to live a life that's according to my spirit and my word, and I want you to be set apart so I can use you. Um, But doing those things doesn't make me holy. It's Jesus that makes us holy. The Ark of the Covenant. There is no longer an Ark. In fact, we know that the Ark got lost at some point in history. And the Ark of the Covenant contained the Ten Commandments, uh, the rod of Aaron that budded, and and a bowl of manna. And it was covered and it was a central part of the worship of Israel. And it was portable. It was not very big. It was only so big. right? And it had poles that were carried and it had a cover over it. So that wherever, um, whenever they moved, whenever God led them, whenever he moved Israel, the, the, the priests would carry this, this ark and then the people would follow behind it. And it was called the Ark of God's Presence. 
Now, in the New Testament, we don't have a physical object which is carrying these things which God put his presence on. What do we have? Where is God's presence now? In me, in you. It is is a, a me and us. It is a I and you. It is a corporate and God's presence, uh, uh, Paul talks about in Corinthians, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He comes, his presence is in you and in me and in us as the church. He fills us as his people. Um, so we no longer, so I guess we are the portable presence of God. God lives in me and he goes and he leads me by his spirit and where uh, he leads me, I go. Um, the Jordan River is another symbol in this story. The Jordan River, uh, the Jordan, the word Jordan means descending. And it's this connection between the descending and this idea of the Holy Spirit that comes upon people throughout the Old Testament. The prophets had the Spirit come upon them. It was this descending. And then you see the same thing in the New Testament where Jesus is going through the Jordan. He's baptized and he's coming out of the water. The Spirit descends upon him and he appears the Spirit appears like a dove and empowers him. And from that moment on, he's empowered. And Jesus went empowered, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then he comes out of the wilderness, having brought victory over Satan. And Jesus is, says, and he came in power into Galilee, preaching the kingdom of God, casting out demons, healing the sick. This was because he had power from on high to do that and then finally uh, the image of the land these are only some of the images the land um, as Christians we don't get an inheritance of land you said I'm not worried my inheritance is God himself and here's what Jesus what was Jesus's inheritance in uh, Psalm 2, um, the, a, a psalm dedicated to Messiah, it says, Ask of me and I'll give you the nations as an inheritance. Guess what Jesus' inheritance are? Every person, every single person in this room, every single person in this world, every person who would come and turn and receive what Jesus has done is his inheritance. Why do you think Jesus is waiting to come back? He hasn't got enough of his inheritance. He wants more people to know how good he is. And when when he's reached that point, then he will come back. And the father will say, son, go and get your bride. Bring her back. Um, In the New Testament, it's his kingdom rule. We don't get a land, but we get the rule of God. Jesus came not pronouncing the kingdom of Israel, but the kingdom of God. It was the rule and reign of God. That was the inheritance for people to enter into. It was not to enter into a physical location. It was the rule and reign of God as king. And you were serving and your job was to give him what he was going to pay for, which was his very life, which was the nations of the world. And his commission to the great to the disciples was go and make disciples of all nations. That's why. That's why we don't just do church. Our job, our mission as a church is not just to do church on a Sunday. Our job is to be to make disciples who make disciples. 
that's bigger than just turning up here on a Sunday or at Life Group on a Wednesday. We've got a heart to see people's lives transformed and for them to become transforming lives in other people's lives. So, you see on the left-hand side, I think this this is going to... Oh, I've got a red dot to help me this morning. Um, you can see here, this is the story that precedes this story we've got here. That This is the story of Joshua. But what preceded the story was the 400 years in Egypt, which ended up the Israelites being in slavery. And um, God sent Moses in order to tell the people that he was going to set them free. And finally, after 10 plagues, there was a great Passover of a lamb. And it was the blood of the lamb on the door that uh, caused them to be freed from the, the power of death that God had sent as a judgment on Egypt. And there was freedom from what when God did Passover? Can anybody tell me? What were they freed on at Passover? They were, yes, they were freed from slavery and they were freed from death. Um, but it wasn't until they actually crossed the Red Sea where the enemy was cut off. Pharaoh was killed. So what you have is uh, through both the Passover and a baptism through the Red Sea, you actually have the enemies cut off. And then uh, they went out to, to Sinai where you have the first Pentecost. The first Pentecost is where God gave the Torah, the Ten Commandments to Moses and made a covenant with Israel. And then you have this, not long after that, you actually have this situation with 12 spies going in and they into the land and coming back with a bad report. And because of that, a whole generation did not cross over the Jordan. You see... God did not save them from slavery and did not cut off their enemies simply to leave them in the wilderness. The intention was always that they would enter the land. And um, so we get to this situation where uh, Joshua says to consecrate themselves. They're, they're meant to move and follow the Ark of the Covenant. And the priests would to touch, as soon as their feet were to touch the water, the water would stop and they would carry uh, and the people would uh, follow their lead and go across the Jordan and enter into the land. Here's the New Testament reality of that. All of us are born into a world which is filled with sin and all of us sin. All of us, none of us are perfect and we see brokenness everywhere. But when we come to Jesus, who, um, when Jesus was baptised, was described by John as, Behold, the Lamb of God, who will take away the sin of the world. And on the cross, when Jesus died, he died on Passover as a lamb. And his blood on the cross defeated sin and defeated death. How cool is that? But our baptism actually cuts off in some in, in, in a metaphoric way, the enemy's cut off when we get baptized. So when I believe that Jesus died on the cross, my sin is forgiven and I'm no longer under the penalty of eternal death. When I am baptized, my enemy, my past, I'm a new creation. My baptism is a symbol that my enemy is cut off. And here's what's beautiful. Jesus consecrates me. He makes me holy. He says, I no longer see your sin. I see my, the blood of my son, Jesus. And he comes and he makes me born again. He fills me with his presence so that I might move 
and follow him. And then he comes and he says, now I want you to have power to do the things that I would do in you. I'm going to fill you with my spirit so that you might make disciples of all nations. And as you do that, you will be entering the kingdom and you're seeing the kingdom come all around you. Isn't that amazing that those two stories are so similar? So here's the meeting point of those two, two stories in my, in my heart and my mind. It's the Jordan River. The Jordan was where they refused to cross over the first time. And then Jesus brings, uh, jo- Joshua brings the second generation back to that river. And it's like this deciding point. You and I were not, if you're a believer in Jesus... God just didn't want to forgive you for your sin, give you eternal life and, give you, and destroy the authority of Satan over your life. He has more for you than that. Those three things are absolutely, fundamentally amazing and awesome. But he said, I want more. I want you to enter into the promise of the Spirit that you see in my son Jesus and that you observe in the New Testament church. This is your inheritance. God wants us to move beyond our own salvation from slavery, death and sin. And he wants us to move into making other people free. Because what you have received is so precious and what is of such great value. He is worthy of it all. So what, what happens in this story is that the priests are told to go ahead. Now, who are the priests? In our reality... We're called to go ahead. We're called to trust God and we're to put our feet into what? In this situation, they were called to put their feet into the river. And as soon as their feet hit the river, what would happen? It would stop. And as they stood there, the presence and the power of the Lord was holding back that river. And his presence was with the people and they crossed that moment. What I see is this in this story in the New Testament is, is that there is a standing and there is a, and a watching and there is a being led by the Spirit. And it's a standing in this place where the Spirit descends on you and God gives you power so that you can move into the promise, move into the land that he has for you. Do you know, I believe every single person in this room is, has, has, um, God has a desire for you. He wants you to know him. And he wants uh, you to have all that Jesus did for you when he died and rose again. But he wants you to do what he did with the first church, which is, he said, I want you to go into Jerusalem and I want you to wait there and I'm going to send the power of my spirit on you and you will be my witnesses to all the nations, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. We're only just beginning when Jesus touches our lives and transforms us and we become born again. It's the beginning. It's not the end. I I don't get that point and then I can't wait to get to heaven. Um, I do want to get to heaven. What is heaven going to be like? Well, in the end of Revelation, it says that, uh, Behold, I looked up and I saw heaven coming down and coming in a new heaven and there's this new earth. God restores everything, makes it brand new. And during the worship this morning, 
I had this picture of worship and I was standing amongst this amazing, amazing, massive crowd and we were worshipping together. And I had my hands up, so it must have been a charismatic gathering. <laughs> or people didn't care. And, and people were, were just enraptured with God. And I looked over and, and a person just opened their eyes and looked at me and I looked at them and I went like that. And they went like that. And it was like we both said without saying, isn't this awesome that we could be doing this? And do you know, that is what I'm looking forward to. But can I just say to you that until that day when Jesus returns and he establishes that eternal part of his kingdom, right now what he wants is the, in this age of the Spirit poured out is that he wants us to get to that Jordan River and he wants us to walk into it and he wants us to take, put our feet there knowing that what's going to happen next is going to prepare us for the next. It's that walking in by faith. It's walking into a flooded river that, that just doesn't appear that it would stop. But God is wanting to pour out his spirit on us as we do that. We don't, we don't see the spirit mentioned in that passage. But what caused the river to stop? The presence of the Lord, the power of God. And you know what? I see this in the New Testament in the book of Acts. And I want us to begin to think about this. Uh, my dad and I were talking about his time in Austinville. And one of the things, cool things about Baptist churches, we, we have people that join us from lots, lots of different backgrounds in churches and, and, and faith. And um, I'm, I'm a person that believes, and this church holds to the work of the Holy Spirit. And the gifts are for today, that the power of the Spirit is for every believer to walk in and to enjoy and to see that work out work itself in the lives of other people. But my dad, just as in every church, there are some people who have ideas about the theology of that. Some people will go, when you get become a Christian, you get all the Holy Spirit and all the power. Some people will break it up, you get the Holy Spirit and then you get the power. Well, I'd tell you what I'm going to tell you about my theology. I don't care whether you think you get it all at once or in two separate things, as long as you've got the power of the Holy Spirit. And my dad said that to uh, his, his church back then, and someone stood up and said, so do you, don't you think I have the power of the Holy Spirit if I don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit the way you're saying? And my dad said, actually, I didn't say that. He said, I, I just said, as long as you're experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, um, I'm not saying about which way is exactly the way you should have it. I just want you to have it. The question is, uh, do you have it or don't you have it? I, I looked at that in my personal life and I was only uh, about 20 years old and I recognised that I had the presence of the Holy Spirit. I had his word in my heart. I was born again. I was loved by God. I was a child of God. There was absolutely no debate about that in my heart. But I knew that I'd experienced no supernatural signs of the power of the Holy Spirit that I saw written in Jesus' life and in evidence by the, the disciples in Jesus' time and experienced by what I saw in the book of Acts. And I went, I want that. I don't believe God shut it off after the apostles died. I no longer believe that, but I then had a problem between what I read in the Bible and my own life. And you know what? I had to say to God, I had to say to God, I have somehow there's something not working in me 
that stopped this from happening. I see it happening in new believers in the, in the New Testament. Why isn't it happening to me? And what I did is I got in the river. I took a step towards that and said, God, I want the power in your presence to overwhelm me. And I want you to do a mighty thing in my life. Because I want to be a man that walks by faith and not by sight. And I want to be not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. That's what I want to be. And the Lord began to work in my life. It took two years of fighting intellectually and theological debates. And finally, I allowed someone to pray for me. And they just uh, put their hands on me. I felt nothing. But God began to move in my heart. Why? Because he had a heart to reach the nations through me. He had a heart to show me that my salvation was just the beginning. He had more for me. Do you have a little bit? Do you have a lot? If you've got a little bit of signs and power of the Spirit in your life, give thanks for what you have and ask for more. If you've got a lot, ask for even more. There is no, there is no shortage of God's Spirit's presence and power for those who believe in Him. But what I know now is that we should all be asking for more. And that... I believe, is like the priests who were carrying the presence of God stepping in to that Jordan River and saying, I trust you, God, to give me what I need to take that land. What is it that God has before you? It's the inheritance of Jesus that you get to share in. You get to share in the joy of the nations, starting with one person, starting with one person, starting with one person, starting with one person and then when you disciple them you teach them the same spirit that god has given me and the same mission that he's given me same passion he's given me for the nations is on you you go for it then. 